Welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer. This is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. I am finally back from my globe-trotting ways. Uh, we've had a few episodes in a row that were kind of evergreen topics, but we are going to have our first news segment of, I guess, the month, and probably our only news segment of the month, because we are going to be closing out the year very soon here. But uh, I can think of no better person to help me catch up on all the news than the guy that I am joined by right now. It is Game Informer's own Wesley LeBlanc. Wes, how are you doing today? I'm good. I've written a lot of news since you've been gone. And I was also gone on a trip, but we had so much news while you were gone. So um, much news. And I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah. Uh, so we have had technical difficulty after technical difficulty. We were actually off and running. We were off to the races on this episode. And I was talking, I was doing this very spiel about how we've had technical difficulties. And then, Wes, your Wi-Fi crashed. So the yeah. technical difficulties have just been constant. We've been trying to get this episode off the ground for the past hour and change. But I think we're finally good. I hope, fingers crossed. Maybe I'm jinxing us by saying that, but I have a good feeling about this run. The name of the room that I have made here is called Non-Cursed All Things Nintendo Episode. So That's what uh, we needed. That, that, that's all we needed. We needed to dispel yeah. it. But Wes, it is Spotify wrapped season, which means yes. everybody on the internet is sharing their end of year stats. Uh, the, the, you know, the charming way that a corporation can say, hey, we're always watching you. And uh, all the console makers are doing their own versions of it. Uh, PlayStation, I think, has probably the best one of these, but Xbox and Nintendo also have theirs. So uh, I ran mine, and we're gonna—I'm gonna run down what my stats were. Uh, first game—that's that's the first category. It tells you the first game that you played this year, and mine was Sports Story. To Ooh. which Nintendo says, "Great start." To which I say. No, it wasn't. No. Yeah, I, I remember being on that episode with you. <laughs> Which is a shame because I loved Golf Story, but Sports Story was not so great. Um, it says that I played 55 games for a total of 325 hours. And my three most played were Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Nintendo 64 for uh, on Switch Online, which was because I did my first ever playthrough of Majora's Mask. People who listen to this podcast may remember that episode of dedicating to my first time going through that game. And then my third one was Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And then my busiest month was May, which I logged 68 hours. And I will let you guess why that month was so busy for me. Uh, Wes, how did your year in review look? My first game of 2023 was, I think my maybe my first review of 2023, which was Fire Emblem Engage. Um, excellent way to start the year. I think I gave it a 9 or a 9.5. One of my highest scores this year. Game's still awesome. Um, I played 18 total games for 187 hours. Um, admittedly, this was probably uh, one of the more lax years for me in Switch, uh, mm-hmm. which is funny because it's like one of the Switch's best years in the yeah. Um But... If you've been paying attention to games in 2023, there was so much to keep up with uh, elsewhere, too. Uh, let's see. Most played this year, Fire Emblem Engage. Uh, second most played, which I, I don't think is right, is Pikmin 2, um, which I did 100% Pikmin 2, and that's like 25 hours. Um, but it has Legend of Zelda behind it, uh, Tears of the Kingdom at 28 hours. But I was like, that's weird. So I went to my Switch, and my Switch says 45 hours or more. Um, so I don't know, Nintendo, you need to look into your wrap up cause, or maybe they stopped it. Like maybe they stopped tracking a couple weeks ago. Cause I have been playing a good bit of tears of the kingdom on my recent travels. I think they um, did because I, I, it tells you like every top game month by month. And I looked 
and it doesn't have anything for me for December. So I think oh, that like okay. it's maybe delayed by a few weeks, but I don't know. Yeah, it, it's that all wizardry. It. I had put in a, uh, like 20 hours of Tears of the Kingdom, which is nothing, but it's also enough to let me know that Tears of the Kingdom is a game I love a lot because uh, it just rules. Um, and I'm just going to be slowly playing that over the next year, two years. I don't know. It's not a game I want to reach credits on, so I'm happy to just dole that out. Um, but yeah, it's so good. And we're going to be talking a little bit about Tears of the Kingdom on the main segment of this episode. But if you want to see your own stats, you can go to year-in-review.nintendo.com and then you log in with your Nintendo account and you'll get your own Switch stats. So uh, yeah, that's a fun little thing. It's always a, a little delight to just see all your uh, your year in review. And uh, I wish Nintendo was a little bit better about it, but you know. What can you do? I, sometimes I look at like the Nintendo stats and the Xbox stats and the way they're presented. And it's how I feel being an Apple music subscriber and seeing everybody yeah. do their like Spotify, Spotify rap, rap, all these yep. amazing like graphics and cool little things. And like they even got like celebrities, like like musicians to like send like video messages to yep. people who are like their top listeners. And it's like <sighs> the Apple music is just like, here are your top artists. Go away. Yeah. The <laughs> Xbox one is like especially disappointing it's just a screen and it has all your stats right there and it's like no interactivity meanwhile sony's is like the best of the bunch easily what was your top one on xbox and sony and then we'll move on xbox my top was um uh, starfield i had like 48 hours in that i didn't play much xbox this year next was a uh, phantom liberty i think and then playstation mm. was my top and my number one game was fortnite at like 180 hours um, wow but then right behind that was Final Fantasy 16, which I'm at like 101 hours in. So jeez, I didn't have some gaming. I didn't have a, over 100 hours on any game this year. I found out. Which let's see. So PlayStation mine was Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and mm. I think I was at like something like 50 hours on that. I don't know. I'll have to, I, I tweeted it out so people can fact check me on that. But then like Forza, Fort, not Forza Horizon, Forza Motorsport was my top Xbox ones because I spent a ton of time reviewing that, and I think that was at like 30 five to 45 hours somewhere in that range but uh yeah overall a very good year for gaming and that's what we're going to be talking about next week on all things nintendo we'll be talking about the best that this year had to offer but wes we're going to move on to the next news item here this was something that was kind of just like a blip on the radar Uh, a lot of people were doing interviews out at uh the game awards which happened last week and uh I think on this podcast, we've sometimes debated what the most ambitious gaming crossover might be. And we've said like, all right, is it Super Smash Brothers or is it Kingdom Hearts? But the answer might actually be Fortnite. And uh, the Axios did an interview with Sax Person, who is the head of Fortnite's ecosystem. And uh, they were asking him, do you ever think you could see yourself getting Nintendo stuff? into Fortnite because you know we just had peter griffin join it's like the it's like such a fever dream to see like okay well you can be spider-man and you could snipe master chief and then use a kamehameha as goku and kill peter griffin it's like what what even is this game at this point like the ninja turtles are live today or they go live today i think oh my god it just keeps coming and i don't know like i don't know what to do with all this information like but they asked him, like, do you think uh, Nintendo could ever join the Fortnite ecosystem? And his quote was, I don't know what the word for, like, making diamonds is. And then yeah. he said, Nintendo has their strategy and we have our strategy. And we hope at some point uh, that they'll be able to use their characters because our players would love it. And, yeah, I mean, of course they would. Like, adding, like, Link and Mario and everything into this would be amazing. But... 
Nintendo is very much like marching to the beat of their own drums. But do you think we will ever get Nintendo stuff in Fortnite? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like you have to be to put your character in Fortnite. You have to be okay with them getting killed. You have to be okay with them using a gun, which characters like, I don't know, maybe Mario doesn't typically use AKs. Well, I mean, hey, he uses, uh, uses a gun in Mario plus Rabbids. That's true. Um, and then you also have to be okay with uh, Mario, Link, Zelda, uh, Samus hitting the gritty or doing uh, oh a Meg the Stallion dance to Savage. Like, there's so much that go that adding your character to Fortnite is a lot. It's not just, oh, people can play as Mario. It's there's so much that they can do with that character. And even more so now that the, all these other modes are out there, you can have Mario singing uh, Weezer or like Buddy Holly by Weezer now on a weird Fortnite stage uh, or a Lego version. Like it's just, it's a, it's a big ask. So I understand why Nintendo might not be willing to allow it to happen. And I also can understand why Epic is trying so hard. But I don't know if it hasn't happened yet. Like Epic has proven that everyone else is on board. I don't know what it's going to take for Nintendo to jump in i mean they would have to i feel like they would have to do kind of what like because we would ultimately get what we had with like guitar hero 4 or guitar hero world tour where it was like oh look kurt cobain is in the game yeah. he can sing nirvana songs but then they also had him singing like david bowie songs and like dancing like david bowie and it was just like and courtney love was immediately like well this is not what i signed up for and i feel yeah. like nintendo in theory would be like oh yeah this is like one of the most popular games of all time let's get our characters in it but then once you see like Link twerking like Megan the Stallion, it's just like, okay, well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Give the people what they want, Nintendo. <laughs> I I think that the only way that we would get it was be would be with restrictions on the characters, which I don't think Epic would go for. Mm. And it would have to be Nintendo exclusive. So it's only in like Switch. Only yeah. in the Switch version of Fortnite. Or Maybe we get like costumes like we did with Skyrim. Like you couldn't actually play as Link in Skyrim for Switch, but you could get like Link's tunic and you get like the Hylian shield and everything. But I don't, I just, it's going to be tough to be like, all right, yeah, Mario is going to be able to, you know, do the, all the different Fortnite dances or he's going to be able to sing Mr. Brightside yeah. on, on Fortnite Festival. But yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of which, Fortnite did just release where this isn't like an official news item that I was planning on covering, but they did just release three new modes that are like full fledged games within Fortnite. So there's Lego Fortnite, there's Fortnite festival, which I mentioned, which is basically just like a, a light version of rock band slash fuser, which yeah. I, I've heard is somewhat underwhelming at this point, but they're going to continue to build on it and everything. And then uh, Rocket Racing, which is Psionics, the Rocket League people doing a racing game within Fortnite. So just full on new games within Fortnite, which is insane. Like the fact that they are yeah. continuing to build it out the way it is. Like I remember when they first introduced Battle Royale and I was just like, OK, well, so they're ripping off PUBG because PUBG was just the biggest thing on the planet at that point. And then it, they took it so far beyond what PUBG was doing at that point. And now Fortnite is pretty much the like when you think of Battle Royale, you immediately think of Fortnite. Yeah. And I I do worry because, you know, Harmonix, the company that makes Rock Band and makes and, and originally made Guitar Hero is the company that does Fortnite Festival. Like Epic Games, I think it was last year, acquired Harmonix to do music stuff within Fortnite. So it's actually a good pedigree of like developers making the Fortnite Festival stuff. They also did Fuser, you may recall, last last year, I think it was. And 
I love both. I mean, Rock Band is a game I've spent more money on than any other game ever. I, I have like 3,000 DLC songs on that. So like I've spent Dang. a ton of money and not to mention all the instruments I've had to buy for that game. So like over the last, since 2007, when Rock Band 1 came out, I have dropped thousands of dollars on that game. So I love that game. I love it so much. And Fuser was amazing while it was still running. Um, and I, I don't know if they're still doing stuff for that. I, I I would play that game all the time, like making like fun little mashups and everything. But I, I worry that like they're going to just be like, there's going to be an announcement. And I know Rock Band hasn't been like the most profitable thing for harmonics lately, but I worry there's going to be an announcement that are like, okay, we're shifting all of our development because they've been releasing DLC still for Rock Band. I do very much worry they're going to be like, okay, well, Harmonix now solely makes Fortnite Festival stuff and Rock Band DLC is just ceasing and we're never going to do Rock Band again. That would be the worst case scenario for me because I still will log on like once every three months and buy all the DLC that I, uh, of like songs that I like or like songs, like artists that I love. Like I'll be like, oh, they put out a song from this person. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to download that immediately and then. I'll play it sometime in the next year. Um, but yeah. I would be very bummed if like that was it is, like the success of Fortnite means the end of Rock Band DLC, which was not a a chain of events that I ever anticipated happening. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I hear Rocket Racing is great. I hear Lego Fortnite is just unbelievable. I'm still not a Fortnite guy, but I, I could see myself checking out Rocket Racing or Fortnite Festival. But like, what, what's your whole like take on this? Um, I do think Rock Band will be coming coming to an end because next year they're supposed to be adding controller support. Yeah, like, to like guitar Fortnite controller. Festival. Yeah, and I think that that might be signaling uh, a full shift to turning Fortnite Festival into Rock Band. Um, it's very underwhelming. You have to play on a controller. It's not fun. Um, there's a daily rotation of a few songs, like maybe eight songs a day. Otherwise, you have to buy a song, and one song is five dollars. I don't know how much DLC Oof. is in Rock Band, but two dollars for Rock Band. Yeah, five dollars is is wild. Forget um, that. The instruments, like you can buy like cosmetic instruments, it's very expensive. the The Fortnite Festival seems the most trying to get your money, and I kind of really dislike it for that. Um, and it's pretty underbaked as like of the three games. Rocket Racing is a lot of fun. Uh, it's not, I've played a good bit of it and it's not like super exciting. Like the courses all kind of look similar and there's not much going on. It's a good competent racing game, but like, I don't know. I'm not sure what the overall pool is and they're charging an egregious amount of money for the cars, which is also frustrating. Like 4,000 V bucks for one of the car bundles on the shop, which is 30 to $40. Jeez. Um, and it's, I mean, it's clear like what they're doing. I mean, they're just going to make a lot of money off of this Fortnite metaverse stuff they're building. Um, and then Lego is Lego, uh, Fortnite Lego is fun. It's basically like survival ish, Minecraft ish. Um, and it's beautiful and it's pretty. It still needs a lot of work. I mean, it's all, all these games are early and they said they're going to continue to update them like they would any other game, which is exciting. But having played a good bit of all three, uh, my 99% of my Fortnite time is still going to go to the, uh, battle royale mm. um I, I like what they're doing and it's interesting to watch what they're doing none of them are really firing on a cylinder that's going to pull away any of my time just yet but as we've seen with the battle royale who knows what it could look like in a year two years three years could be a totally different uh type of game well i did see an interview uh that like it was asking about about like oh why don't you guys do this and he's just i think it was tim sweeney uh at epic games was like oh we don't have enough engineers and it's like well you just laid off 800 people so yeah. maybe that would have helped 
but that was uh, for Steam, Fortnite on Steam Deck. But yes, yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. It was Fortnite on Steam Deck, and it's like, okay, that's a little tone deaf. Yeah, but just a bit. What can you expect from people so high up in a company that and like salary range that they're disconnected from reality? But all right, yeah. <laughs> Fortnite's a free game. But yeah, if you don't want to spend forty dollars on a car, but you know what actually is free? The Disney Illusion Island DLC that just came out. Yeah. So uh, it's called the Keeper Up DLC. It's out now. And from the description, it sounds like it's some of the most intense platforming challenges in that game. It's going to be like a time trial setting. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I'm assuming you've not had a chance to check this out because we are all extremely busy. But yes, uh, I like, have not yet. I'm assuming you've looked into it at least because you love Disney Illusion Island. Yes. Yeah. It's um, one of my favorite games this year. Um, you can read more about it in the upcoming issue of Game Informer. Um but yeah, uh, I wrote the story for this one. Um, it's a time trial mode where like, from what I gather, you will be tasked with finding everything in a certain area in a certain amount of time, which is cool because it's not just reach the finish line. It's uh, 100% explore an area in time um, using your platforming skills, which is fun. And then there's like quality of life updates and some more behind the scenes stuff, which is my personal favorite part of the game because they worked with Disney intensely because it's Mickey Mouse, of course. Um mm-hmm. And it's, it's cool to see like the concept art and hear like uh, early versions of tracks and songs and stuff. Um, and it's free. So like if you enjoyed Illusion Island, uh, there's no reason not to at least download this and give it a try one day. Yeah. And I'm sure there's been some sales on Illusion Island. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's one that's on my list. It's like I there's a lot about this game that I would absolutely love. And I just haven't had a chance to check it out, unfortunately, because it's, there's just been so many games. But uh, that, that is out now. The update is it arrived this week. So if you have Disney Illusion Island and you've been looking for an excuse to fire it back up, this seems like a pretty good excuse. And it seems like the mode that I would be like, OK, let me let me just try this once I get through the entire thing and like feel confident in my skills, like yeah. going back and just really having an excuse to revisit some of these levels. Like sounds it's like also an amazing time. it's also integrated into the game. So if you're starting it up for the first time, um, you'll like run into the challenge challenges uh, naturally or if oh, you're nice. like me and you've 100 percent of the game you can just go back and um like talk to the specific people oh great well that is out now uh we have an announcement from the pokemon company i know we typically start with pokemon news but uh they announced a new amusement park opening up in yeah. tokyo uh i'm reading this over on nintendolife.com uh poke park kanto uh, they, they translated it through, I think, Chrome. So it's not, but basically saying there's going to be a lot of nature to explore. You'll be able to feel the presence of Pokemon in the real world. And uh, Nintendo Life said that it sounds like it will have rides and amusements, just kind of similar to Super Nintendo World. Uh, but we don't have any idea when it's going to open. But I feel like this was just a matter of time after the success of Super Nintendo World, right? Yeah, for sure. It sounds... I didn't read about the part where it has uh, rides and attractions. To me, uh, when I read that, like a translated version, kind of sounded like a, a big nature park, which if you've mm-hmm. been to Japan, they're very big and popular. Even within Tokyo, there's like beautiful parks to explore. Um, that would have some like Pokemon integration or maybe like some Pokemon animatronics or something. Um, but that's interesting. I didn't realize that it might be like a full-on theme park with attractions and rides. That's super exciting yeah, and a no-brainer. How- I don't know how much speculation that would be from uh, the Nintendo life, but I mean, if they were able to add some like attractions and, and like thrill rides or anything like that, like that would be amazing. Like something on par with super Nintendo world would be incredible. 
I'd be cool with like my local zoo, the Jacksonville Zoo does uh, like a dinosaur thing every mm-hmm. year. And it's like a part of the park where they just have like these dinosaur animatronics and you just kind of walk through and they're there. I would be cool with something like that. Like if I can just go to like a beautiful park in Japan and then there's like a, a life-size Charizard animatronic that roars and flaps its wings every so often. I don't know. That'd be cool to me. That would be cool. I did get a chance uh, back in August to visit the Pokemon Company's headquarters uh, in the U.S. So it was out in Redmond, or not Redmond, uh, Bellevue, Washington, mm. and had a chance to see theirs. And they they have like this giant Charizard statue like perched up on one of the stairwells, which is really cool looking. That's awesome. Uh, so yeah, stuff like that. Like, even if they made that animatronic, similar to what they did in Super Nintendo World, where it's like you can look up and you'll see like a shy guy pacing back and forth. Like that's really yeah. cool. And it just goes really far for making you feel immersed in that world. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, speaking of Super Nintendo World, Wesley, we finally got some information about the Donkey Kong Country expansion that is coming to both the Tokyo and Orlando versions of Super Nintendo World. And uh, looking at, like, cause they released a, after I wrote the news story on GameInformer.com, I saw that there was a, uh, like, a mock-up video of how it's going to look. And it looks like if you've ever been to the Osaka one, this is me going off memory from when I went back at the end of last year, but you go downstairs after emerging from Princess Peach's castle and then past like the character meet and greet section and off to the right. And if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly, that's just like bathrooms right now. And like, there's like a little tiny like block that you can hit, but I was like, Oh, that's weird. It's kind of like a dead end, but now it looks like it's going to be a tunnel that has like Donkey Kong style, like decorations and everything. And then once you go through there, it spills you out into the Donkey Kong country area. And it looks like there's going to be like DK's hut that you can, I don't know if you're gonna be able to go up in it or if that's just decorative decorations. Uh, there's going to be Donkey Kongas, which I'm very excited to play um, a cranky Kong themed waterfall. And then of course the, the, the center of attention, the mine cart roller coaster. Yeah, which I, the, the the mock-up shows that there is a jump, which I don't know how they're going to pull that off. <laughs> but yeah, it, it does look very cool. Um, and that part is opening at the Osaka location in spring 2024. And then the Orlando Super Nintendo World, which is going to be part of something called the Epic Universe, I believe that yeah, is opening park. in 2025. But it doesn't look like the Hollywood Super Nintendo World is going to get it. And as somebody who's been to both the Osaka and the Hollywood ver- versions of uh, Super Nintendo World, I can tell you that the Hollywood version is already out of real estate. It is super cramped. Yeah. It's probably like 60% of the size of the Osaka version. It's missing the Yoshi ride already. So, like, I don't think any of these expansions are going to, unless they really, really, like, bulldoze something. Like, they, they could bulldoze, like, the Transformers section of the park, maybe. But I don't think they're going to do that because I think people like the Transformers part. Also down in that area in the Hollywood uh, version is uh, the Jurassic World stuff, which I think is also another very popular area of the park. So they would have to do some major renovations to fit any of this stuff into. Again, they're already missing the Yoshi ride. So like, I don't know if we're ever going to see any of these expansions at the LA version of Super Nintendo World, but it's already coming to Osaka spring of of, of next year. And then Orlando's comes in 2025. I'm assuming you you've not checked out any of the Super Nintendo worlds, right? No, but the Orlando I mean, one J- might be your first. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be. I've been I'm going to Japan in March, like on vacation and we're going to Osaka. But oh. um, I don't think we're going to do a day at Universal because we have Universal here and the only real pool would be Super Nintendo. And like you said, it's opening 
next or in 2025 here. Um, so yeah, I think Orlando will be my first one. And I'm excited because that third theme park that Universal is opening is also going to have like, um, like an, it's going to have like a classic monster section. So like Frankenstein and Wolfman and stuff, it's going to cool. have a new Harry Potter land. Um, it's going to have uh, the Super Nintendo stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be a whole giant theme park. So not only will I get to go to a brand new theme park, but it will also have the complete like Super Nintendo World uh, section as well, which will be so it'll just be a really great day for me. <laughs> well, at least brand new theme parks are never crowded. Yeah, no, not here. I mean, I'm in, I live here, so I'm used to it and I know all the <laughs> tricks to like, you know, getting the quickest lines and stuff. But uh, yeah, tourists beware. But uh, with the the kind of. Hopefully that like Nintendo is planning and like Universal is planning for Super Nintendo World in Orlando to be a lot more spacious because like look at Disney World versus Disneyland. So Disney World being the yeah. Orlando one, Disneyland being the one in Anaheim. Disney World just is so much more expansive and so much bigger. Um, I went to Disneyland for the first time this year and I was shocked by how much smaller it is than Disney World. Yeah, And uh, hopefully that is the case with super nintendo world in in orlando as well i think so they universal's like section that they're building the park because i like to keep up with all the stuff and look at the aerial shots it's pretty massive and both it and disney have not utilized nearly as much space that they own there as you think i think disney world what they've built so far is only 14 percent of the land disney owns in that area oh my god so like they could theoretically build a new york city one day like Jeez. for disney <laughs> um so i think these companies are doing fine in orlando uh, let's move on to the next thing. Speaking of expansions, we got three new N64 titles added to the Switch yeah. Online Plus expansion pack. Look at that segue. So, uh, did you ever have an N64? I know you're younger than me. I did not. Oh, no, I, it was, um, we were a PlayStation family. Uh, it was basically whatever my older brother wanted and he was a PlayStation kid. So, um, and I didn't even, I didn't even really like touch a 64. Like I have... I don't think I have any memories of playing a Nintendo 64. Wow. Yeah. Well, there's three new titles. I have only ever played one of them. There's Jet Force Gemini, which is an action shooter game from Rare. So if you if you want to play a game from Rare's heyday, back when they were churning out games like Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong Country, this is your chance to do that. I, I believe this is also the reason that they are doing a mature-only uh, N64 app in Japan because I think they were concerned oh. about like kids playing this game and so they released like a separate app for like 18 plus players in Japan Is it rated um, M or something? I think it is oh. but I'm not Dang. entirely sure but then there's Harvest Moon 64 which does not require you to be 18 or older and then uh, 1080 Snowboarding which I adore. I love 1080 Snowboarding. That was I want to say the first ever snowboarding game that like I ever just like obsessed over. And of course I think SSX and like that series surpassed it, but uh, 1080 was a great time for, uh, for the N64 era. I don't know. Are you going to check out any of these games as a person who never had an N64? Probably not. Uh, I do have one correction. My friend growing up when I moved to Florida as a young kid had a 64, but all we did was play the mini games in Pokemon stadium one and two. So I do have, those memories of Nintendo 64. But no, I'm not probably going to check out any of these uh, games. I'm not, I'm an SSX guy, so 1080 is not appeasing to me. I don't really dig farming games typically. And I have not heard good things about Jet Force Gemini. Like I've heard people like it because they have memories for it, but like actually playing it is a different story. 
I would agree with you there. It's uh, yeah. 1080 would feel like a step back if you're like conditioned for SSX. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Like 1080, I might go back just to experience like the 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 heyday of of my N64 snowboarding youth. Yeah. But that's about it. Like it's it's going to be like a nostalgia play, and then I'll be like, okay, let me go back to games that play well today. Do you think um, that they're kind of like wrapping up their expansion pack and Nintendo Switch Online stuff? Like we're I feel like we're kind of in the trenches lately with releases. I haven't been super pumped about one in a, in a minute. And there's still some white whales out there that I'm curious like as to why they're not there, like Pokemon, for example. But oh, God. it seems like that's not happening. Yeah, I feel like that's... It's so weird they haven't put the like the GBA Pokemon games or even the Game Boy Color Pokemon games on, yeah. on Switch Online. Like, maybe that... We, we say this every year. Maybe that's their big announcement at Pokemon Day this year because I don't know yeah. if they're going to announce a new generation yet. So it's like, all right, well, what can we do for Pokemon Day? And it's, I guess put out either a, a Johto remake or something that we've been clamoring for, or I don't know, like I guess the Game Boy or Game Boy Advance Pokemon games on Switch. It would be that fitting would... because the 3DS, I want to say in the last year, they put the like crystal and gold and stuff on the on the marketplace or whatever, the eShop, and I bought it, and then the Switch came out, and I was like, surely these games will come to Switch and I can play here, surely. and they didn't. So maybe... Now that we're probably in the last year of Switch, they'll finally add them. And then I can play them for a week and expect them to be on Switch too, but they won't be. Uh, if all the stuff, I mean, uh, this is another tangent, but another, if like all the things that work on Switch don't work on whatever the successor is, I will be eternally angry with Nintendo. <laughs> I think they know that too. There's... They sold so many Switch games, and they know it. It's their like, one of their best-selling consoles ever. They have it's easily to. their best-selling console ever. The only thing that beats it is the Nintendo DS. Oh, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I can you imagine the outrage if they did not have backwards compatibility, especially with the like, catalog that it has? Like, I don't want to have a Switch Two and not be able to play Tears of the Kingdom without buying it again, right? Yeah. Like that would be the ultimate slap in the face. So hopefully that is not the case, and hopefully, like you know, they do add the Pokemon games to switch online and then it works immediately on switch too hopefully we don't have to restart our catalogs just because we oh, go to God. a new new generation of consoles it's that like all right so guys get excited we're bringing super mario brothers 2 to uh. switch online it's like ah oh, guys come on so hopefully that's not the case yeah nintendo once again was a no-show largely at uh the game awards but we did get a couple of announcements I'm just going to cover the two biggest ones that I think pertain to uh, Nintendo fans. There's the rumor going in that we were going to get a Virtual Fighter. I think it was specifically a Virtual Fighter 2 remake. And that turned out not to be true because Sega revealed everything but Virtual Fighter. Yeah. So there was uh, announcements that the following games are, quote, in development. A new Jet Set Radio, a new Shinobi a new Golden Axe, a new Streets of Rage, and then my personal favorite announcement, a new Crazy Taxi. And then uh, they said, and more. So I don't know if any of these, if some of these are coming to Switch or whatever Nintendo console is going when these come out because they might be a far way away. But it seemed like Jet Set Radio looks, it's going to be very uh, loyal to the original style. Shinobi has unbelievable art styles, like a hand-drawn aesthetic, yeah. uh, almost like Ghibli looking. Uh, Golden Axe looks like a pretty standard, like third-person beat-em-up action game. Streets of Rage 
looks like it's going back to like what we got with like streets of rage four and then crazy taxi looks like what we would expect they showed very very brief gameplay snippets for each of them and uh i could not be more excited for this announcement i was sitting in attendance at the game awards losing my mind (laughs) when this announcement came up because i was like okay what's sega announcing because you know they they sent out those teasers to influencers that was like new era, new energy. And I'm like, all right, well, that, that's probably where the virtual fighter rumors started. Cause yeah. it, it even looked like the virtual fighter font, but no, it was like new era of Sega because like they have all these classic franchises that they're seemingly reviving, which is awesome. So that is that the other news Wes is uh, getting the announcement of a dredge themed DLC for Dave, the diver. So we're, Crossing over the uh, one of the favorite indie games, Dredge, with one of the favorite games that people think is indie but really isn't, <laughs> Dave the Diver. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, I think that's going to be fun. Dredge was like one of the earliest indie hits of the year. And Dave the Diver yeah. seems like it has taken up the space of like indie darling, even though it's published by Nexon. But like it's such like a nebulous definition of what indie is at this point. It's almost like a... A more of a vibe than like an actual definition at this point, right? Yeah, it's like, I mean, Jeff Keighley's description on the what, how he describes indie games doesn't help because um, it's also very nebulous. But yeah, it's like, a, you know it when you see it kind of thing, which is, I don't know, in the spirit of the award, kind of lame because like, just because a game looks indie doesn't mean it is. So should mm-hmm. it be getting the award? Um, but I do think that like, yeah, overall the conversation's nebulous and didn't, I don't even think Sea of Stars won that award, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is cool. So it's Dave the Diver getting dredge content or dredge yes. content? Okay, From what I understand, cool. they Dave the Diver is the game, dredge is the DLC. Okay, cool. That's so cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Both games I need to play, um, especially Dave the Diver. I've only heard amazing things about it. Dredge, I'm not really big on like fishing games, so I don't know if I'll like it, but... Um, both games on my eternal 2023 backlog. Dave the Diver snuck its way into my personal top 10 of the year. So I Ooh. I very much recommend Dave the Diver. Very fun. I love like the fact that there's like two separate games built in. Like, you know, there's the, the restaurant management slash waiting tables part. And then there's also the underwater exploration and combat part. And those just mash together so well. So... Highly recommend Dave the Diver, and I'm very excited for this DLC. I don't know if they've given a date for when it's coming out, but it might just be coming soon. Um, oh, Wes is on the case. <laughs> yes, I was looking it up. Uh, uh, December 15th, so if you're Whoa, watching this now, as you're watching you this, what a Adds revelation. A new, a new night map, aberrant fish, and more to the game. Cool. Mm. So that's out now. Congratulations, everybody listening to this episode who likes Dave the Diver. You have new content to play. Uh, Two weeks ago, Phil Spencer, Mr. Xbox himself, he made a comment that I think perked up a lot of ears. He said that he wanted to bring like the Xbox cloud gaming services to as many screens as possible. And, uh, you know, on this podcast, we've talked about like, would Xbox cloud gaming ever come to Switch? And uh, he did an interview with Windows Central recently, and they asked him about bringing the uh, Xbox Game Pass and Xbox Cloud services to other consoles, and he dashed it away pretty quickly. He said, quote, we have no plans to bring Game Pass to PlayStation or Nintendo. It's not in our plans. 
So uh, I guess that's that because <laughs> I was uh, I was very high that like this would actually happen on Nintendo because like, you know, they brought over all of those features and a few of the like Xbox Game Studios games to Switch, yeah. like Ori and the, like both Ori games, right? And then also like Cuphead was like it first came to Switch and then eventually came to PlayStation as well. But like there were achievements, there were like Xbox Live Party functionality in some games. So it's like, I thought that we were heading in the direction of having Xbox cloud streaming on Switch because, you know, obviously Switch is equipped to do cloud streaming because we have all these games like Control and Kingdom Hearts 2 for some reason as running as cloud versions. But uh, do you think that it, it may not be in their plans now, but do you think we ever get Xbox cloud streaming on a Nintendo console? Uh, I don't know. The the games coming over makes sense because it's technically just ports to Switch. And when you buy it on Switch, Nintendo's making money. I don't see how Nintendo's going to make money off of Xbox Cloud Gaming being available on Switch. So then what you have is a free app that people can download. They log into their Microsoft account, and now they're just playing Microsoft games and Xbox games on their Switch device. And I don't really see what that's doing for Switch other than maybe good PR but eventually, does that PR turn into, man, the Switch is the best Xbox cloud gaming device, which is not what you want marketing to be saying about your console. Um, so I don't know. I, I do think, I mean, we just talked about they're not going to put their characters on Fortnite. Like Nintendo of the three, the big three is the most, like they have their walls up high. Yeah. And for a reason, they have a, they have a reputation that they protect uh, highly. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't personally see this happening. I'd love for it to, but I don't think so. Theoretically, there would be some sort of monetary benefit to both parties, right? Like, so Xbox would have the, the you'd have the subscription to Xbox Game Pass in order to use it. Yeah. And then theoretically, if a player is playing on Switch, they would get some sort of like licensing fee kickback or something to Nintendo for like allowing it on their system. But I agree, there, there are a lot of deals that would need to be struck in order to make this happen. But you know, just thinking about like the fact that I can play Forza Horizon 5 on my iPhone through Xbox cloud streaming made me think that like Apple's also very protective about their uh, their ecosystem. So I could see how there is a, a way in the door, but it would have to have kind of a, an unprecedented level of cooperation between technically competitors, right? Like even though Xbox yeah. and Switch operate in very, very different spaces, they're both platform holders in the video game industry. So that makes them competitors by definition, even if like they're kind of jockeying for position in different segments of the industry. And even in the Apple case, uh, isn't it the app that you download like kind of circumvents Apple? That's the whole thing, right? Like it basically uses your internet to stream. It's not like mm -hmm. interacting with Apple's ecosystem in any way. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, it's going to be a, an uphill battle if it ever happens. But as Phil Spencer says, it's not in their plans for either yeah. Nintendo or PlayStation. So take that as you will, maybe somewhere down the road, but it doesn't seem like anytime soon that it's going to happen. Real quick about Phil Spencer. Uh, he did his Xbox wrap-up this year, which we talked about at the start of the show. He had like 970 hours on Xbox, which is more than most people I've seen. I I don't know. He makes a lot of money and he's playing a lot of games. Someone needs to look into what Phil's doing during work hours. Hey, man, good for him. Like, I'm glad he has had <laughs> plenty of time to game because I feel like I did not have enough time to game this year. Yeah. And, well, you uh, get paid more than Phil, so that makes sense. Uh, that. Clearly, you know, those those games <laughs> journalist salaries, they're, they rival the, the top Microsoft executives any day of the week. 
Maybe maybe in a year I make what he makes in one pay period. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but good for Phil. Also, Phil Spencer, good guy. Ran into him a couple of times during the Game Awards. Uh, week. Yeah, he seems nice. Very good guy. Every interaction I've had with him has been a delight. Uh, going over to what I've called on this podcast and in other instances, the greatest classic game compilation in industry history, Atari 50. Mm. It is getting even better. So Digital Eclipse, the developer behind Atari 50, announced they're going to be putting out some free updates that are going to add even more games to the catalog. I think that was the one thing that people had some minor nitpicks about regarding Atari 50 was that like, oh, there's some like pretty pivotal games that aren't in this compilation. Like it's a really good collection, but there's some games missing. And the first update actually hit last week. And these are, again, free updates. And it added 12, uh, I want to say new titles, but 12 Atari titles. And I think even some homebrews, which is kind of cool. But Super Football, Warbirds, Double Dunk, and other games are now in the catalog. None of these really grabbed me as like, oh, yeah, these are essential Atari games. Again, the NES was the first uh, video game system I ever played. SNES was the first one I ever owned. So I was never an Atari kid. So maybe like people who were will be like, oh, yeah, super football rules. Like, I I absolutely can't wait to play that in Atari 50. But maybe this is a chance for me to go back and experience this. I don't know how they've done in terms of, like, adding, like, the additional content that made Atari 50 such a great compilation in the first place. Like, all, like, the the artifacts and everything. Like, uh, you know, ads in the newspaper that they took out for for these different games and everything. Like, if there's stuff like that surrounding them, that's the coolest part for me of this compilation. But being able to go back and play these games is also neat. I am personally hoping for either E.T. or Berserk. Atari Uh just bought the Berserk IP. They just put out a Berserk Recharge, which I unfortunately was not too high on. But if they put the original Berserk in Atari 50, I'm going to play the hell out of that because I love Berserk. And I have great memories of playing that with my dad. We had an arcade cabinet that uh, ran some some games. And Berserk was like the one that we gravitated towards. That was like one of his favorite arcade games from his childhood. And uh, we would get into heated competitions trying to beat each other's high score in Berserk. So if there is a an original Berserk added to that, I'm all in. But E.T., just for the historical setting. But I understand fully that there might be some very difficult licensing issues surrounding that game, particularly because of its notoriety. I, I Maybe, like, I forget who is the distributor. Uh, who is the distributor of E.T.? But like I, I understand that the, the 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 rights holders might be like, oh, this game that is continually seen as like one of the worst games of all time, we had to dump a bunch of copies in the desert to get rid of our our stock of it. They might be like, oh, well, let's not repeat that and like resurface that wound. But I think that there's a good case. I mean, they have Howard Howard Scott Warshaw, who is the original designer. He's working with Atari already on other stuff right now. So it would make sense that they would have the game he's for better or for worse, most well known for in this catalog and like be able to have like talking head interviews with him and everything. So we'll see if that ever happens. Fingers crossed for future updates, but we are going to talk about the game awards and like what it's like attending them, what we got out of them from Nintendo's perspective at the tail end of the show. But Nintendo got some award nominations at a different award show the golden globes not something mm. we're typically used to saying but the super mario brothers movie uh one of the biggest movies of the year it got nominated for best motion picture animated 
uh, cinematic and box office achievement, which from my understanding is a new category and best original song for Jack Black's peaches. And uh, now that song is stuck in everybody's head. uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the other films nominated for best animated picture, Wes. I know the boy and the heron seems to be a pretty big hit uh, from studio Ghibli. So that might be the front runner. And I also know that like best original song category has some pretty stiff competition this year because the Barbie movie, Barbie movie had a bunch of uh, three of them. I think two of the, two of the five nominees were from the Barbie movie. Mm -hmm. Um, So that might be uh, the front runner there, but do you think that Mario takes home any of those three categories? Um, Probably the box office one, right? I think it's the, that's the only one I'm thinking too. Yeah. Which is like a weird award to begin with, like, celebrating a movie making a lot of money um but more power to you uh best animated probably not uh i don't even know what the other nominees are but like studio ghibli alone is gonna probably get some votes and then best original song peaches could get it i would say it's probably between peaches or maybe the uh, i'm just ken from barbie yeah. uh those are two songs that have stuck throughout the year i just watched uh on tiktok Jack Black came out in a Bowser outfit during a Jonas Brothers concert while Nick Jonas played the song on piano and he sang Peaches. Um, so like I'm still seeing people still love Peaches, um, but I'm just kidding is like, you know, that's that's an anthem of the year as well. So one of those games, but it's cool. It's crazy to see Nintendo have three nominations in a Golden Globes Awards. Yeah. And with the Zelda movie on the horizon at some point, it hopefully a well-received movie and one that does a lot of money at the box office and we'll be able to keep this train going and actually have Nintendo keep coming up at these award shows. I mean, we, we just saw that, uh, you know, the last of us is getting some love as well. So video game adaptations, finally good. It's great. Yay. Like, you know, wasn't it, uh, Pedro Pascal was nominated for like best lead actor in a, in like a drama or something like yeah. that. So good on video game adaptations. Also, I spoke to the cast of the Fallout Netflix uh, series while I, or yeah, Netflix, no, Amazon. Right? Amazon. Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Fall, one of them. I'm sure they're very upset that I said Amazon or Netflix <laughs> said Amazon. The Fallout Amazon series uh, spoke to three members of the cast while I was out in Los Angeles for the Game Awards. Uh, also, very nice people. I'm excited for that series. Um, Me too. Looks good. But we're going to wrap up this segment with some uh, industry wide news, Wes. E3. Hmm permanently canceled we we've kind of speculated on this the the last time we had an e3 at all was 2021 but it was digital only last in-person e3 was 2019 which was where i got the the shock of my life where i was on my way to my interview with ag aonuma i was pre-briefed on the nintendo direct that they did so i wrote all the news coming out of the nintendo direct i wrote all of it but and we just like published it I had people at home on the on our home team. We used to have a, a team that would go to E3 and a team that would stay home and like kind of like man the 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 non on the ground stuff. So like if a, a, a live stream announced a new game, like they would write that up. But like it, we would go on like we would play all the games and everything. So the home team was watching the Nintendo Direct while we were all the people on the ground in LA were writing stuff up. So I was on my way to the very first interview slot with AG Numa. I had written all the Nintendo Direct stuff. And I remember watching it with uh, former Game Informer Editor-in-Chief Andrew Reiner, and we were watching it together, and they kind of cut the end a little bit weird. And I was like, oh, that seemed like it was kind of an abrupt ending. And Reiner was like, no, it seemed fine. 
And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe it was just maybe something weird with me and like my brain. And then on my way to this interview with A.G. Aonuma, I get a text from former Game Informer editor, Suriel Vasquez. And he says, hey, did you uh, write the Zelda news? And I was like, what Zelda news? And he's like, they just announced a sequel to Breath of the Wild. And I was like, what? So I sat down on my way to interviewing like the head of the Zelda franchise. And now all my questions are like, okay, well, now I want to ask him everything about this. And of course, I sit down and their first thing was like, just so you know, we're only talking about the Link's Awakening remake. We're not talking about uh, the new game that was just announced. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll ask a few questions about the Link's Awakening remake, but I'm going to ask a couple of questions. I actually did get some tidbits out of that interview. I got like why they wanted to return to that version of Hyrule, just conceptual stuff. And then I did get him to confirm. I was the person who got to confirm that Hidemaru Fujibayashi was returning as director after directing uh, Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild. That was also the the faded interview where I got uh, Eiji Aonuma to say that they he couldn't imagine a way to do a Skyward Sword remake or remaster without motion controls. And then two years later, we got Skyward Sword remaster without motion controls. Uh, but yeah, that was a good interview. And But that was like the shock of my life when I was like, okay, cool. I know what questions I'm going to ask him. And then suddenly it all went out the window because they didn't tell us that they were announcing what went on to become Tears of the Kingdom. That's um, so funny. But we were, so we were supposed to get an, an in-person E3 this year. And it was organized by the company that does the PAX events, ReadPop. But then they ended up canceling it because so many developers pulled out. And then ReadPop left the partnership. But the ESA was like, we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it. And then today, or not today, a couple days ago, they announced that it is officially dead. And I went to five E3s. And here are some of my memories. Uh, first time meeting Shigeru Miyamoto and Eiji Aonuma. Both of them happened at E3. Uh, I ran into Masahiro Sakurai, who does not do a lot of interviews, but this is when they were promoting Smash Ultimate. I unfortunately did not get to interview him. But Nintendo used to have these things where, like, they would have a big, like, booth area. And then behind that, they would have, like, their meeting area where it was, like, up. It was, like, elevated. It was, like, a makeshift, like, second floor that, like, didn't exist on the show floor, but they built, like, a second floor for you. So you had to, like, check in with your, your media person and then get taken up to, like, this VIP area. And then they would like take you around on this tour of like, okay, well, here are the five games you're going to get to play like 15 minutes of. And then here are the interviews that you're lined up for. So like, okay, you have a Splatoon 3 interview. So we'll, we'll get you in there in like 20 minutes. But in the meantime, go play like this, this salmon run thing or whatever. Or I guess it would have been Splatoon 2 back then. And uh, so do that. And I remember as I was walking to, I think it was actually to interview like the Splatoon 2 developers I walked right past Masahiro Sakurai, who was just, by the way, dressed to the nines, just a sharp yeah. looking, sharp looking lad. And uh, he, uh, you know, he it was just like, oh, crap, that was that was Sakurai. That was it, that was a, a, a moment that stuck out in my mind. Also did had that moment with Reggie, which I've, you know, I've since interviewed him. So that that's kind of cool. Uh, met Charles Martinet just randomly on the oh, E3 nice. show floor, ran into him. Um, just a gem of a human being voice of mario luigi wario waluigi all those characters uh and then i shared this video on my uh my my twitter and all my different social medias but maybe the coolest moment was again this is e3 2019 i was pre-briefed on the nintendo direct so i was able to go up and watch the nintendo direct with grasshopper manufacturers suda 51 mm. and i knew that they were revealing 
uh, No More Heroes 3 on that that very feed. So I was able to go up and like watch the reveal of his long awaited announcement together. And that was like super oh, cool. Awesome. I got it on video. You can go on my Twitter and uh, or threads or I, I don't think Blue Sky allows video, but I posted it on Twitter and threads. Uh, you can go check out that video of like just Suda51 admiring the trailer, watching it and being like, OK, like it's announced everybody like it was just a, a really neat moment to be able to be there for. I don't think you ever got a chance to actually go to an E3, Wes, right? No, I did not. It was like the reason I wanted to be a games writer is because of the excitement around E3. And I was like, you know, I've been like writing. I've started freelancing for like bigger sites like IGN. And then I landed this job in 2021. So I still had hope because they were trying to make E3 come back. And I was determined to go. Um, But the dream is dead, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. It's over. Well, Summer Game Fest, as a member, I will say this, as a member of the media, Summer Game Fest is an infinitely better experience. It's a different experience, but it's a lot more pleasant, I'll say. Mm. <laughs> it's a much more condensed thing. I mean, who knows? Maybe now that E3 is not jockeying for position at the LA Convention Center, maybe Jeff Keighley will be like, let's rent out the LA Convention Center and make the sequel to E3. But right now, as it is right now, kind of in that weird, like tiny little event space in the middle of nowhere in downtown LA. I know that kind of goes against middle of nowhere, but it really does feel yeah, like, okay, there's is. nothing really around here. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, like a, like a shopping district a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, maybe they would take it to the next level now that E3 is not even like going to try to put it on a thing. Maybe Jeff Keighley's going to do something bigger and better next year, but who knows? Um, but did you have any like memories that stick out to you uh, as you, kind of look back at watching e3 as a as an audience member yeah for sure i wrote about it on the site too the day that they announced it um but uh playstation used to live stream their showcases to actual like movie theaters Mm -hmm. and i went to all of them since they started doing it like 2015 through like 2019 2020 basically um and it was awesome because it would be like me and my friends we would go sit in a theater and everyone in the theater is just like I mean, they're the diehard PlayStation fans, so everyone's hype as hell. Like every announcement is just hooting and hollering. Felt like what I imagine it's like to sit in those theaters where they're actually doing the announcements. Um, and the one that sticks out the most for me is the God of War reveal, just because it was so well done. Like, oh yeah, we're watching Bear McCreary do the song that we now know is the theme of God of War, which is such a fantastic song. And Bear McCreary is the goat of composers. But nobody knew um, what it was at that point. I know. Yeah. So we're just like, what is this? Like, it's it's this powerful like it booming so epic. piece. Yeah. And then we cut to like gameplay of gameplay feed, and it's Atreus playing with the toys, and then he gets called in by some man with a very deep, great voice, um, who we now know as Christopher Judge. And yeah, Kratos walks out and everyone just loses their mind on the stream. The theater's losing their mind. You could see um, the director, Corey Barlog, they had like a little feed of him and he's just like, might as well be crying happiness because people are loving it. Um, My entire theater, like people were standing up and like screaming. I had never played a God of War and I had no interest in those games. And I was like so excited and hyped for that moment just because it feels good to like, to be with people who have a similar interest and you're all just shouting in a theater. Um, and then it turns out it's one of my favorite games of all time now. Yeah. Um, so I'm so happy I got to see that in a the theater. It's uh, so cool. Mm-hmm. I think in that same showcase, maybe, or maybe not, maybe the year before, but the one where Kojima, but where PlayStation got Kojima, they did. They showed off Death Stranding for the first time and he walks down the stairs and like every step lights up as he steps on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Just so hype. Like it's just like PlayStation 
I've been disappointed lately with the, their trajectory of presentations as they've tried to be Nintendo Direct style stuff um, because they were so good at like big hype, probably very expensive showcases. Um, and I kind of miss that. And I know the industry's moved away from that, but man, they did it like nobody else and I miss it. Nintendo had some really great moments. Um, mm-hmm. What was Reggie's? Like his big introduction. Um, let's see, what was it? It was uh, his big introduction. He was like, he said, my name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass. I'm about taking names. And we're about making games. That was his yeah. uh, big introduction to the world. And that was the beginning of the legend of Reggie fils uh, And, you know, then we have a few follies, which I think ultimately led um, Nintendo to start doing the Nintendo Directs in place of a live press conference. So there was the Wii Music, which was just a weird thing <laughs> yeah. where all the these legendary developers were up on stage, just kind of like bouncing along, playing Wii Music. And everybody's like, this is dumb. <laughs> but yeah. like everybody kind of humored it because like there were all these amazing developers up on stage doing it. And then of course the infamous at the final E3, uh, I'm assuming, I, th- I think it was the final one. Cause uh, Skyward Sword came out in November, 2011. So uh, at E3, either 2010 or 2011, Shigeru Miyamoto came out to show off Skyward Sword and it just didn't work. Like the motion yeah. controls were broken and uh, you know, it, it ended up being a, a pretty big uh, mishap and misstep for Nintendo in that moment. And uh, starting at E3 2012 was when they started doing the, the Nintendo directs. And little did we know that was going to be the way forward for every other developer pretty much, or every other yeah. platform holder, at least like Xbox, I think still does like some press conference stuff. Like I, I was actually at their summer game fest press conference kind of out covering it in like the 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 media area instead of actually in the theater but i did poke my head in a couple times to kind of get get the vibe but playstation's done a lot of like the state of play stuff instead which is unfortunate because as i, I miss the spectacle that's why i like going to the yeah. game awards so much same it's because it's the spectacle that we are missing so much when it's just like sterile like okay our next headline is this yeah and plays like some generic music in the background it's like uh, they're it's good in a different way, but it I just miss the old way. Yeah. There are, uh, since this is a Nintendo podcast, I'll mention two other E3 moments. Obviously, Breath of the Wild, uh, oh, that yeah. one trailer with the song. Uh, one of the best video game moments ever. Um, but for me, my number one Nintendo moment is probably Super Smash Bros. Ultimate's reveal. Oh my God. Uh, everyone is that. here is like, yeah. I mean, it's one of the coolest moments ever. I was That was the height of my uh, Smash Bros. heyday because I played the hell out of Smash Bros. on Wii U. Um, and I was with my best friend who like got me into Smash and he'd been playing it all his life. So like, oh, that, that moment was, that was a wild moment. Um, and I don't think they'll probably ever be able to replicate that for the smash bros series and i'm glad i got to watch it live because they did such a good job with it being like okay well let's let's name off the the remaining characters or whatever like whatever they said and it was just like all right here's like snake here's so and so here's like it just kept naming like characters that were from the past and then eventually you're just like wait is everybody here (laughs) and it was like everybody is here and i was like oh my god yeah yeah that was fun i remember watching that from my hotel room as I was like getting ready to go into the uh, to like get an Uber to go to the LA convention center for my, my day of meeting. So 
lots of fun moments that you can't really replicate with any of the current stuff. The closest we have is the game awards in terms yeah. of like announcement concentration, I feel like. And even then it's just like one event. It's not like just like a concentration of like so many different events at the same days sometimes, but definitely the same week. So yeah. it is a little E3 disappointing. Is, it's interesting too the timing of it because the game awards were great if for news and reveals and stuff not so great for developers as people have talked about um and a lot of people are like kind of upset with keely and concerned that he's kind of taking over the mind share of these types of shows and then basically a week later e3's officially dead um like now it is just keely so like yeah hopefully he takes the lesson i mean he does a good job every year i think of like taking feedback in and and adjusting the show um, sometimes too much, which is why we had like 30 second speeches this year. Um, but I, I do hope that he finds a way to balance all his shows and maybe make the awards more about awards and then summer game fest more about spectacle. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an, it's been an interesting week watching developers. I mean, like ba- Doug Bowser, Reggie, Kojima, Phil Spencer, like all these like top executives talking about what they love so much about E3 and how they're going to miss it and their favorite memories with it. And, it is. It does kind of suck to see this decades-long conference experience that people look forward to, that people like me wanted to like go to in person. It, it's officially dead, and the writing was on the wall. But it still sucks that it's a, it's finally happened. It does, and I'll miss it. Um, I, I know that there's plenty of stuff sliding in to take its place. We are going to talk about the Game Awards a little bit more on the tail end of the show. But Wes, we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to chat a bit about my interview with the Tears of the Kingdom developers. We will be right back. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I was out in L.A. last week for the Game Awards. And while I was out there, I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with Eiji Aonuma and Hidemaro Fujibayashi maybe the two most important members of the team behind Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. We covered a ton of topics, but I wanted to take this main segment to just kind of briefly go over the main pullouts that I found interesting from my conversation. So it's it's funny because I've interviewed A.G. Numa at, I said it before, E3 2019, had a great conversation with him. It was a one-on-one interview. I was invited in May of this year to go to New York not only interview Eiji Aonuma and Hidemaro Fujibayashi right ahead of the launch of Tears of the Kingdom, but also to go to the uh, the midnight launch at Nintendo New York alongside them and like cover that as well. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. Let's let's absolutely do that. Had my flight, had my hotel booked. And then uh, three days before, I had one more thing, and that was COVID-19. So oh, I was I not able to go that. on that. Oh. But... Nintendo was very accommodating, allowed me to conduct the interview over Zoom, which that was the only one they did over Zoom for that that beat. So I was very thankful to Nintendo for that. Still had a great conversation with them, even though I was like, oh, I've met Eiji Numa, but I've never met Hidemaru Fujibayashi, who is the director of both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. It's like, I would have been great to meet him. So I was very happy and very nervous I was going to get sick again in the lead up to this secondary opportunity, which was uh, the morning of the Game Awards. So, you know, I I got there early. It it took place at like, I think it was 10 in the morning. And then the Game Awards weren't until like 4.30 in the evening. So I was just like rocking my suit all day. And I remember like, you know, I met 
my Nintendo guy down in the uh, the Nintendo PR guy down in the lobby of the hotel that we were in. And we took, he walked me up, we got in the elevator, walked in and I was, I was rocking a very like brightly colored suit. And it was the blue one, right? It was a blue one. It was, yeah, it was it a bright, great. like Royal blue suit. And as I walked in, it was funny because I heard both Aonuma and Fujibayashi go, Oh, as I walked <laughs> in, I was like, okay, good. This is a good sign that the suit is going to be a hit. Um, but, you know, it, as I've talked about with my interview with uh, Shigeru Miyamoto and Koji Kondo earlier this year, when you walk into these rooms for like these Nintendo legends, th- there's a ton of people in there. And you just kind of yeah. have to act like you're going to be doing a stage presentation with these people, because I think there were no few. I mean, for the Miyamoto and Kondo one, it was even more. It was like probably 20 people in the room alongside the three of us, because, uh, you know, they each have their own translator. And they also have like PR people from Japan side, PR people from the US side. I think there's like usually like three or four from each of those. And then they all have like handlers as well that like are like getting them everything they need and all that stuff. So like by the time you get to like the headcount for Miyamoto and Koji Kondo, it was probably like over 20 other people in the room with me and the two interview people. For this, there was maybe like 15 or 16, but it was still a pretty high number. That's wild. I thought I, that's... That's a lot. It's like having an audience a little bit, you know, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. And, you know, PR is listening to it from both sides. So like, you're, you're kind of like, all right, are they going to jump in and say like, no, and thankfully yeah. I've never had them jump in and say, you can't ask that. Um, but you know, like they're, they're, they pre-brief us a little bit about stuff we can't ask about. Like uh, for this, they, they said like, Hey, like, you know, we're not able to answer any questions about the movie. And uh, which I'm, you know, fair enough. And we he did bring up how I think he was referencing the Zelda movie, how he had no idea. A.G. Aonuma had no idea they were going to announce a Zelda movie until like the very end of when they were going to announce a Zelda movie. And he was just like, yeah, that's just a completely different team from me. So like I was yeah. pleasantly surprised as well. Um, but yeah, I think the interview went very well. I had a good time with them. I, uh, you know, I, I, I totally... Uh, had like kind of like the moment of like these are this is the director and the producer of my favorite video game of all time breath of the wild and i i you know i i think i've gotten to the point where like i don't really get like super nervous about it but i also was like i i took in like kind of the magnitude of the moment of like yeah this is awesome like being able to talk to these guys together and like talk to them about like you know two of my favorite video games I've ever played in my life, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, and also had a couple of questions about Ocarina of Time, which another one of my favorite games of all time. So that was great. Uh, but here are some of the pullouts that I wanted to talk a little bit about here. So I asked them about Ultra Hand, and my, my big point was like, look, Ultra Hand is such an integral part. Like it brought in so many people to the Zelda franchise that maybe haven't ever played a Zelda game and to the point that some people are even like, this is like what a Zelda game is like you get to build stuff and like create different like objects to help you solve puzzles and everything. And I was like, do you think that there's any way we see ultra hand in future games? And Hidemaru Fujibayashi said, quote, when we're creating a title, say tears of the kingdom, as you mentioned, the crux of the experience in playing tears, of the kingdom is ultra hand and the freedom to create, as you mentioned, that is what tears of the kingdom is. So every time we're making a Zelda title, we want to create something new. If, for example, there was any continuation of Tears of the Kingdom and we were to bring in, say, Ultra Hand, then I think to us it would feel like, well, we're just bringing in Tears of the Kingdom as is. 
what we want to do from a game creator's perspective is create something new. From that perspective, I don't think we'll be seeing Ultra Hand in every Zelda game or anything in the future. So it sounds like Ultra Hand might be a one and done situation. Maybe there would be like an item that you can get that will allow for Ultra Hand or something, but it does not sound like it's like, okay, well, this is Zelda now. Uh, did that did that quote kind of convey that to you that like this we're not going to see anything else with that? Yeah, I think Ultra Hand is uh, imperative to Tears of the Kingdom, but <clears throat> I think only because Tears of the Kingdom is clearly built around Ultra Hand. I don't even like Ultra Hand would not be too helpful in a different Zelda game. Like if I don't have crafting or materials around me to build some weird monstrosity or a cart or something like that, I don't even know what I would want to use ultra hand for outside of tears of the kingdom. Um, yeah, like it's, this completely makes sense. Like short of making a sequel, there's really no reason to bring back ultra hand as great mm-hmm. as it is. And that's a perfect segue into my next question, which I, you know, they kind of gave me the opening there as well. I asked like, you've said that there's no DLC. Do you see any way that we're going to get like a direct sequel? Like, have you ruled that out yet? And AJ Numa laughed and said, well, that would be a sequel to a sequel, which is getting a little bit wild when you think about it. But as I've mentioned previously, with Tears of the Kingdom, we were seeking to build on top of the world we created with Breath of the Wild and really exhaust the possibilities of what we could put into that world. I think it is, to use a bit of a term, an apotheosis or the final form of that version of The Legend of Zelda. In that regard, I don't think that we'll be making a direct sequel to a world such as that that we've created. Yeah. So also big ups to the, the translator for translating apotheosis. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, it's also funny that he laughs and says a sequel to a sequel would be weird. Uh, he needs to look around the rest of the gaming landscape. All we get is sequels. Not not in the Zelda franchise. Like it's rare no, that you get a direct true. sequel in Zelda. Yeah. I mean, what uh, is Link Between Worlds a sequel, like a spiritual yes. sequel to something? Okay. It's, it's a sequel to Link to the Past. Majora's Mask is a sequel to Ocarina of Time, but I think that's it. Maybe Four Swords Adventures is a sequel to Four Swords. But I mean, I I guess uh, Phantom Hourglass is a direct sequel to uh, Wind Waker, Uh, I think. But that's it. Like, there's a lot of Zelda games that you just never see again. Like, I mean, maybe Zelda 2, I think, might be a sequel to the original Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I kind of, but even yeah. then, it's such a such a different game that, to his point, yeah. Um, but yeah, this checks out. I don't, I don't know if anybody is like wanting a sequel to Tears of the Kingdom. Like I've gathered, it's it's got every like he says, it's the apotheosis. It has everything <laughs> you need uh, of that type of Zelda game. Uh, if anything, I think people are excited to see uh, what is next. Like, how do you follow up the open world uh, Zelda games where you can do whatever you want? Is it go back to the roots and we just have classic dungeons? Is it like 2D? Is it uh, top down? Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm most excited to see. Yeah. I mean, it's the question that we've had with almost every Nintendo franchise on the Switch is like, how do they top this? Super Smash yeah. Brothers Ultimate. How do they top this? Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. How do they top this? And that's kind of how Mario a lot of people, I think, are feeling with Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. It's like, how, where do they go from here? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. So I asked them about the timeline, right? Let's get into the the real nitty gritty here. And I said, like, how much does the team actually consider the timeline when they're creating these games? Cause that's something that fans love to theorize about. They love to argue about the timeline. 
we got an official timeline with Hyrule Historia and Breath of the Wild creating a champion. But I was just like, all right, like, how much do you even take that into consideration? <clears throat> and I said, uh, and Hidemaru Fujibayashi said, quote, as you mentioned, we realize that fans have a great time theorizing and enjoy thinking about where things fit on the timeline. That's something that the development team recognizes and it considers, but to an extent. And I say to an extent because if we get too into the weeds or too detailed in that placement, it results in kind of creating restraints for our creativity. The process of creating new ideas becomes restricted because we're so tied up and trying to make this fit into a very specific spot in the timeline. We do consider it, but not to an extent where we feel that our development process feels restricted or constrained. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, and it, it really allows them to go crazy and do everything they want to do with these games without having to be like, oh, well, how will this affect the events of Ocarina of Time in this one timeline? Like, I, I think that that's the best approach to take. Yeah, I agree. Are you a timeline sicko at Zelda lore? I'm not. I have fun I with not. it. Okay. I have fun with so, it. I like, did a, a full timeline episode of this very podcast with Kyle Hilliard right before Tears of the Kingdom came out. Be like, hey, here's the timeline to this point. That was a fun episode. And I, I, I like the little like lore drops for like the series as a whole. Like the fact that Breath of the Wild seems like it's a convergence of all the timelines is a really cool thing for me. Like the fact that they reference games from all the timelines and it's like, all right, is this just so far in the future that it's like, a, a thing that happens on all three timelines or is it like a convergence like what's the deal there and it's it's so interesting and I, we do get into that a little bit with the next question but like you so you don't you you don't care at all about the timeline stuff no it's um i don't play zelda games for story typically okay. um, so like i'm not diving into it i think it's cool and i have looked into like the timeline stuff and i think it's fun um for me it's always like I've only recently learned that there is an official timeline. I kind of always looked at it as the way that people treat Pixar movies where they're all like, I don't know if you've heard the Pixar theory, but every Pixar movie is like in the same universe and it's just oh, fans no. like, Oh, I noticed this in monsters Inc. And it's like, uh, it's this in cars. Like it's little connection points where they're like piecing together. This must be in the same universe. I kind of always thought Zelda was like that. Um, and then only like maybe like in the last year I've realized that no, there actually is an official timeline that, has been acknowledged by Nintendo that fans keep up with. Um, that said, uh, it's not. I don't think they could break the timeline and disappoint me. I would not that'd be affected. Well, I asked because you've played Tears of the Kingdom, correct? Yes. I have asked. I asked about the flashback scenes and where they mm -hmm. fall on the timeline because there's a lot of debate. Are they before Skyward Sword? Are they after the regular timeline and just kind of in between, like the the main timeline and the Breath of the Wild era? And I uh, got a little bit of a nebulous answer from Hidemaru Fujibayashi. He said, quote, Obviously, there's something a little bit clearer in our minds, but of course, it could be that we're wrong as well. Then he laughs. I kind of want to pose the idea that, like in real life history, you define by the artifacts and by the data that you currently have. So within, with, within what we have, there might be a correct answer, but it could be a different answer. So I guess my answer would be that it could be both. Both could be correct. So that, Nintendo. <laughs> that's very, uh, very intriguing that like, he's just like, we have an idea in our mind, but who knows what the actual answer is. And maybe we'll find out in a future, uh, a future game or, or something. It's a future interview drop or whatever. It could be anything. Maybe we'll learn in the Zelda movie. <laughs> oh, true. The live action. Yes, I'm sure. <clears throat> no, I mean, it's uh, a, uh, that's the kind of answer I would expect them to give, to be honest. Yeah. 
So we, I, the one more that I'm going to pull out here, we just did an Ocarina of Time retrospective on this podcast on the 25th anniversary. And I brought up some Ocarina of Time stuff asking about like the legacy of that game, which you can go to GameInformer.com and read the full interview if you want to get into that stuff. But I asked, I, I ended this. They, they gave me the, the wrap it up, which, you know, thankfully was longer than 30 seconds. I got to do, uh, uh, you know, I, I gave them the, the the joke finale, which is what I did with Shigeru Miyamoto and Koji Kondo, because they were, when I walked into that interview, they were like, hey, this is hyper focused on the Mario movie. So, like, don't ask about, like, Tears of the Kingdom. Don't ask about, like, what's next for the Mario games. Don't ask about Mario Kart. This is purely about the Mario movie. And of course, I slipped in a few questions about like Mario as a whole, but like no like Tears of the Kingdom questions. So after that long like preamble that they gave me before the interview, I ended that interview after they told me that time was up. I said, all right, now if you if you have a little bit of extra time, I do have about 20 questions about Zelda. And then they all <laughs> laughed and I got up and walked out of the room. So yeah, uh, for this one, they, they gave me the wrap it up. I asked my one last question and then I ended with, thank you both so much for your time. I've heard about how sometimes questions about games can inspire them to be made so i selfishly want to ask you about a modern ocarina of time remake but i have a feeling i know the answer that i'll get and ag Numa just laughed and said in english no comment there it is and confirmed remake confirmed i saw it on twitter boy oh boy did people take it that way huh yeah. like i've never yeah. seen a no comment get so many comments <laughs> like I, I saw youtubers which you know I, I love a lot of these zelda youtubers but i saw some youtubers take this and run with it and be like well this gives us hope <laughs> i'm just like yeah. I, mean, I guess technically that like he didn't outright deny it but like i've never seen a no comment get so so much uh like generate so much buzz somewhere in the in probably the past 10 years no comment went from this is someone telling you they have no comment and they are not going to speak on this and that you should understand that to, I am not, I'm going to say no comment because I know things and I'm not allowed to talk about them. And I think that's what's happened here is, I mean, maybe that's the case, but yeah, I think people see no comment about an Ocarina of Time remake and they're like, oh, he knows something. There must be something. He just, <laughs> he's not allowed to talk when in reality he might just be, he might've just been trying to, to uh, alley-oop your joke with a, English, no comment, but who knows? To be fair, if anybody knows anything about an Ocarina of Time remake, I believe it would be A.G. Numa. Yeah, I think so. Do you, <laughs> do you think one's happening? Like, outside of this question, do you oh, think? Oh, man. It would make the most sense, right? Like, I think that if they were going to do anything to, like, really celebrate, like, they're not going to do a new Zelda game, like, anytime soon. Like, a new, like, 3D Zelda game. So if they were really going to like bring in like herald in the the new Nintendo console with like a bang, like that would be an announcement that would get people super hyped. That's what got people initially hyped about the 3DS, right? Like when the 3DS yeah. had like no games, it was like, well, it has Ocarina of Time 3D. Like that's enough for me. That's what made me pick up my 3DS for the first time was like, oh, I got to play Ocarina of Time 3D. It's a remake of my favorite game of all time at that point. So I, uh, yeah, I mean, that was... That was a big thing for the 3DS. I could see how they could do that for the Switch when I would imagine there's no like all new Zelda game coming in the next few years. So I could see it, why it would make sense for that. And there's been some other like rumors and like alleged leaks that have led people to speculate that it's coming. I don't know if I buy a lot of those, but from like a a logical perspective, I think that it, it would be great to see. And I would love to see that. Like even I, I've said this a million times, even just an up version of the 3DS game would be enough for me to have on Switch. Same thing with Majora's Mask 3D. Like, 
put that on switch i'm i'm happy even if it's just like 720p i don't need it to be like 4k resolution or anything like that but i don't know how high resolution those assets were back then because yeah anytime we got a screenshot for the 3ds it was like way too small so yeah. i don't know if that is something that even exists like high resolution assets of that art style so i what think this first oh sorry go ahead i'm just saying i think that would be something that would be well received i think that if it was going to get announced it would have been already because the 25th anniversary just happened two or three weeks ago yeah. And uh it's unfortunate that we didn't get any any like real fanfare for that, but I understand that like they're still kind of in promotion phase for Tears of the Kingdom. So maybe that's why. But uh, you know, who knows? What comes first? Ocarina of Time remake or ports of Wind Waker and Twilight Princess on whatever console? I think ports cuz the, the work's mostly done on those, right? You'd think, yeah, you would hope. But any other big takeaways you edited? So the, I, I did this interview, left after that that joke comment that then apparently set the internet ablaze with a no comment. Um, and then I went down to the uh, the hotel lobby or the hotel bar and sat there and transcribed as the bartenders continually tried to get me to order drinks at like 11 in the morning. And I'm like, no, I'm just here working. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, so I uh, wrote this and got it up immediately. I got it up before yeah. I went to any of my Game Awards stuff. I was, you you were the one who edited it for me, right? Yes, yeah, I was. Um, Did you have any other big takeaways from this interview that we didn't really cover here? It's funny. I, I so I haven't beaten Tears of the Kingdom, and I'm very relatively early, even though I'm like 50 hours in. Um, but like I was like, I'm gonna edit it. It seems like a good story to get up ASAP, um, and obviously it's just a good story. Uh, and then I saw like the part I'm editing and it's, it has like the spoilers for Tears of the Kingdom. And I was like, ah, you know what? I'm not I'm not too worried. Like I uh, whatever. Um, and then so I guess spoilers for Tears of the Kingdom. The thing that was really interesting to me, having not gotten to it yet, was the we will we'll guard it with uh, spoiler spoiler guards here. Like we'll talk about it in concept, but let's not spoil the actual thing so people can listen to it. Oh, uh, yes. Um, but yeah, like the, the you're referencing the question I had about the Ganondorf final battle. Yes, yes, yes. I thought that was very cool and it got me excited to get to that part. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, like it spoiled that, but it wasn't. It's not like story it didn't spoil, spoiler. It, yeah, exactly. I, did, I didn't feel like it spoiled. It was just like, oh, that's a cool thing they did. Um, yeah, cool. I mean, honestly, that was one of my questions that I really wanted to ask. Kyle Hilliard actually was pointing me towards that. And I, I agree with him. That's one of the very cool moments about that final battle. Uh, also I, I struggled with this. I was worried this interview was not going to go well because, you know, I already interviewed them earlier this year. I asked them a lot of the questions that I wanted to ask them back then. And since then they've done a few interviews in the time since the launch of tears, of the kingdom, like the one that said that there was not going to be any DLC or like any, they were kind of done with this world. I was like, All right, what am I going to ask them? That's like really like interesting stuff. So that's what was the result was this interview which i think ended up being pretty well or going pretty well um so you can go on gameinformer.com read the full interview i talked to them about their thoughts on the reception of the game since it came out uh discussion a little bit about the legacy of ocarina of time and then uh as wesley talked about some uh cool moments or one cool moment in particular with the final battle in tears of the kingdom stories I will leave that out of the episode to save people who haven't finished the game yet. 
But if you want to read that full interview, go to GameInformer.com. We are going to take one final break this episode. And when we get back, I will give a brief recap of my time at the Game Awards. We will be right back. We are back and we are going to wrap up this episode talking a little bit about my experience at the Game Awards this year. So as you may or may not know, the Game Awards happened last week in Los Angeles, California, and Nintendo took home a few prizes, actually. So Tears of the Kingdom won Best Action Adventure Game, Super Mario Bros. Wonder won Best Family Game, and Pikmin 4 won Best Sim Slash Strategy Game, which is a very weird combination of two genres that I don't know why we do it that way, but we did it, and Pikmin 4 took home that award. Do any of those uh, prizes for Nintendo surprise you, Wes? Um, I was a little surprised by Pikmin 4 beating yeah. Fire Emblem Engage. Um, I haven't played Pikmin 4. I've heard it's amazing. Um, I just think Fire Emblem versus Pikmin, like Fire Emblem is the, the franchise that's 10 times bigger. Um, although Pikmin 4 is the one that kind of finally put the series on the map. Um, but I was excited. That's a, that's a cool award. I'm glad. I know Pikmin fans are hungry for any mention where Nintendo has to publicly acknowledge that series. So um, <laughs> I was, I was happy to see that uh, for sure. That well, was Shigeru Miyamoto loves Pikmin. That's his baby. Like, yes, you know, I, like, know I, but... I feel like he's abandoned Star Fox, his other baby, his other like yeah. less acclaimed baby. And uh, which is very funny phrasing. And, <laughs> but uh, Pikmin, I feel like anytime, and like, I bet that if I went into that interview and they were like, you know, we're only, we're only talking about the Mario brothers movie. If I asked him questions about Pikmin, he would have been delighted, I bet, because yeah. he just loves talking about Pikmin because everybody just like wants to talk about Shigeru, talk to Shigeru Miyamoto about Mario and Zelda, maybe some Donkey Kong here and there. But uh, he loves himself some Pikmin. So I'm, I'm sure he was happy about that win as well. Uh, Zelda taking home best action adventure does not surprise me in the least. Yeah. I thought there was a solid chance it was going to win game of the year. It did not. Baldur's Gate 3 took home that award. And I will tell you that while I was in the, I, I thought uh, actually I, my pick was that a sleeper pick was going to win that prize. I thought that Alan Wake two might take home game of the year. Same with like Baldur's Gate and Legend of Zelda <laughs> splitting the vote. Correct. Yeah. Um, that did not happen. Baldur's Gate three took it home, but but Alan Wake two won I think three awards over the course of the night. So good on yeah. them. And had the best part of the show with. And had the best part of the show, the, the old gods of Asgard doing the what was it Herald of Darkness performance. Yes. You got to see that in person. I'm so jealous. I saw that in person before I saw it in the game. So a little bit spoilery for me. Um, Not a a bad way to to see it, though. No. And I got to uh, give Sam Lake a big hug after it. So that was good. Nice. Um, And I got to hang out with uh, the the guy who plays live action Alan Wake at the at the after party, as well as his voice actor. I think was it. Was it uh, Joseph Forrest after they won who was having a having a hoot at the after party? Was there anything similar this time? Well, I guess it wasn't the official after party that was at. I was just at the the hotel bar, which fills up with there were literally like hundreds upon hundreds of people. That's kind of the after party. Yeah, that's the the real after party. I feel like even though there was an official Game Awards after party. But um, yeah, that was amazing. That was one of my favorite moments. Uh, The musical performances were on point. They weren't the biggest names this time around. Yeah. You know, when I went the first time in 2021, you know, it opened the show with Sting and I was like, oh, that's amazing. I love the police. Like, that's incredible to yeah. see Sting perform. Like, what was it? The song from uh, from the uh, League of Legends show. Right. Arcane. No, no, no. no that's Imagine Dragons. Oh, uh, so it was, this, was uh, Cyberpunk. No. I'm what what up, song cause... does he say? He sings something from a, a Netflix adaptation, right? 
what could have been oh what could have been from arcane okay yeah okay but not so the, i was right not the theme song of arcane yeah 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 um, i was thinking of that yeah. The musical performances this time, not the biggest names, but we got uh, that band that did the Hellblade 2 song, which was incredible. Like I put in our, our group chat, like this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life because they had the torches. Was... They had like the big standing drums that the guys were just jumping and banging on. Uh, we got Halo. the Herald of Darkness. And then what was the uh, the other one that happened? Oh, the, the, the Game Awards Orchestra, of course. Yes. Yeah. This highlight was... every year. It is. This was probably the weakest Game Awards orchestra performance for me personally, only because other than Zelda, I didn't really feel like any of the other Game of the Year nominees had like a standout song in them. Like I recognize the music, but uh, Zelda was the one where I like got goosebumps. And usually every year I get goosebumps and I'm I'm so sad. We should have all banded together and put Final Fantasy 16 in in the finalists, even though it wasn't going to win, because we sh- we deserved to hear that from the orchestra. Oh, and we also got a performance of the theme from Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth with the Game oh Awards gosh, Orchestra. Yes. That was incredible. With a new trailer. Yeah, with the new... Oh, oh my that was goodness. So good. And then Zach in the trailer. Oh, yeah. I, Whoever I that woman wait. was that was singing with them, unbelievable voice. Like, legitimate, like, Celine Dion vibes with the way she was hitting those notes. Uh, that was the highlight yeah. for me. I mean, the trailers were awesome as well. Like, I thought there were some really great things that we covered already. Um, I was emotional for like the first 90 minutes of the show. Like being there in person always gets me like choked up a little bit, fighting back tears a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there were some some negatives. You know, I was disappointed in the lack of mentioning anything about the layoffs that have hit the industry. I think that is the current biggest looming threat this industry faces. And this is the biggest platform in games today. And yeah. it just felt kind of tone deaf to have, uh, you know, the, the presenters, including Jeff Keeley, up there talking about what an incredible year it's been for games. These painted on smiles and not acknowledge the elephant in the room, which, you know, it's funny because Simu Liu, uh, a.k.a. Shang-Chi, from the Marvel movies, he came out and presented and he had a, a boot on his foot and like a, like a, like a, a, a medical boot. And he was like, all right, I'll dress the elephant in the room. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, yep, I, I tore my Achilles playing basketball or something. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. that elephant in the room. All yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because there were actually protesters outside of the game awards talking about like unionization and like mm-hmm. how Zag the layoffs Afra have been too, too much. Right? What was that? I think Sag Afra, Sag Aftra. Oh, the, the, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see, well. I mean, maybe they were part of that protest, but they were all holding yeah. up signs talking about unionization and like the layoffs are too much. And they were had megaphones talking about like how this has been a great year for games, but if this continues, it's not, there's not going to be any other years like this in the future. And I agree wholeheartedly. Since and the I, game awards, I think I've written two stories about company layoffs. Uh, Hasbro who owns wizards of the coast and Dungeons and dragons and transformers and all that kind of stuff laid off 1100 employees a couple days ago while their ceo makes nine million dollars in bonuses and salaries it's like yeah it it's it's sickening why over ten thousand game developers laid off this year and we had a great year in 2023 but losing ten thousand is going to have effects just like COVID had effects that we didn't realize were happening until a couple years later like we're going to feel the effect of ten thousand artists and developers gone in a couple years and it's going to suck absolutely and it's it was just i had hope that there would be some acknowledgement the 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 pr approved pitch that i would give the way that you could do this without offending a single person 
in the room. Like, cause I, I'm assuming that's the reason he didn't bring it up. It's like, Oh, we want to celebrate people. We want to have a celebratory tone and we want to talk about the good part of the industry. And he also has to be political with it because he can't offend any of the people who are giving him these world premieres. Right. Yeah. So the PR approved pitch that I would have told him to say would have been to start it out saying like, Hey, this was an amazing year for game releases, but so many of the people that worked on the amazing games that came out this year no longer have their jobs because the industry has just churned through developers. We have these companies laying off developers left and right. And I want to challenge the people in this room and the people watching at home who have the power to do something to find a better way forward for this industry. That is my call to action for the people watching this show. Now let's celebrate the best games that came out this year. That's all it would have taken. Something inoffensive, something toothless. And I feel like everybody would have been much higher on it. But when you take that and combine it with the 30-second cutting of the mics for the, the speeches, it really didn't feel like we were doing the developers of these games any justice. Like, yes, we celebrated the games. We said, like, this is the best action-adventure game. It's Tears of the Kingdom. But then when you have A.G. Numa, a bona fide legend of the industry, up there accepting the award, giving a speech. And Through a translator. With a translator, which doubles the time of anything yeah. that you're saying, he starts getting played off. And like you have the guy, the 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 director of Baldur's Gate 3 accepting Game of the Year. Game of the Year, they even gave them a hard cut. It's and the it's end like, of the show. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not TV. There's no like hard cutoff. Just keep going. It's a live stream. Like it, ugh, it yeah. was infuriating. And I understand. I at my core, I understand fundamentally why they would want to put these limits on. We had some very long speeches last year. We had somebody, we had the guy who gave the speeches, Chris judge come out at the start of the show and make a joke about it. And then we proceeded to overcorrect. And unfortunately that was, I mean, and Jeff Keighley put up the thing. He said, I agree. Like we were, we we were too fast to cut people off. I tried to, I, I told them to make it a little bit longer as the show went on, but it was still way too short. I think those, especially the bigger awards, need a longer acceptance time. And then on top of that, so many awards were relegated to like just, all right, let's just do this quickly up on the screen so we can get back to more ads. And that was the most disappointing thing. And again, I, I don't like the fact that like best fighting game, we had maybe the best Street Fighter game ever released this year. If not, it's certainly in the conversation. And that was relegated to the the, the monitor. Right. And I actually got to talk because I wrote the cover story for Street Fighter six in 2022. And I got to talk those the the director and the producer were both there. And I got to talk to them and congratulate them after the show for winning best fighting game. And, you know, got a picture with them and it was great. It was great to catch up with them. Right. I haven't seen them since October of 2022. So it was amazing to, to get to talk to them. But I felt so bad that they traveled all the way from Osaka, Japan to be there. They got to see their game win this award, especially after the disappointment that was Street Fighter V. Had this triumphant moment, but it was relegated to just a quick, hey, let's let's just real quick get through this so we can get back to the promoted sections of this of this stream. And then their parent company's new game, Monster Hunter Wilds, closed out the show with like a two and a half minute trailer. And it's uh, like the the disconnect is, it's bizarre. I mean, other instances, I, I know um, one that was like, I was annoyed with, and I know a lot of people were Sea of Stars winning best uh, independent game. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't get to go on stage. Like, why not let the the one indie award winning basically team go up and talk? This is a moment that's like probably the biggest deal for them. I mean, even like I, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, Anuma going up there and talking is awesome and great, but like, he's gonna do it again probably. He's done it before. The Sea of Stars team, they're they're a small team. Like, let them go up there and talk about this game they put their heart and soul into. And ah, yeah, it was disappointing to to watch it happen in real time. And um, I'm curious what like I watched with a bunch of friends, and I was I was we were working, but I was like with some friends, some homies. And I, I like throughout the show, we were getting like more and more annoyed and upset with how it was going. And I'm curious, like how the vibe was in the actual show. Like, was it, could you feel that people were like, man, why are, why are we cutting off people after 30 seconds and stuff like that? It, people weren't really talking too much in the show. You know, we're all yeah. just kind of like being polite attendees at that point. Like there were some people who would talk a little bit, but like, I don't think it was really until afterwards that we were like, man, everybody just got cut off super fast. And it did kind of suck because the guy who played Asterion in Baldur's Gate 3 got up to win best performance. And Jeff did Jeff Keighley did put out the thing saying like, oh, nobody was cut off, but he was cut off definitively. Like he kept talking as the music kept like rising and like, you know, because they pipe it into the, the theater as well. The, yeah. the, 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 the wrap it up music. And there's a big the teleprompter is in big letters saying wrap it up. You could see that when you're there. But it uh they actually cut his mic eventually when he kept talking mm. so that was uh not true that nobody was cut off and i don't want to i don't want to paint this as too negative because i think overall as somebody who used to watch the vgx and the spike game awards like <laughs> yeah. this is miles beyond anything that yes. those did like i think jeff keely has done an amazing job getting better and better pretty much year over year right yeah, I think this is you. better than the one that I attended in 2021, like a, as a show overall. But I do think that there needs to be a better balance of celebrating the developers and doing the world premieres. And if that means going even 15 minutes over the three hour mark, and it's already a long show, I get it. But even going 15 minutes over the, the three hour mark, if that means giving these developers their dues, then I'm okay with it. Yeah, just, I mean... Uh, like I've seen a lot of this has like been the hot topic of the week in since the game awards and like there are the kind of awards that we're looking for like dice and um, namely dice and like GDC awards like those are just straight up award shows where you're truly celebrating developers in whole and I don't think I don't I I don't think anybody's asking for the the game awards to become that like it is part of the hype and excitement around the game awards is the trailers and stuff. But like, yeah, like you mentioned, just like another 15 minutes so that a developer can talk for one minute instead of 30 seconds Yeah, would go so far. And yeah, if Jeff Keighley would have just like read the room a statement. When when the Call of Duty and Activision Blizzard stuff happened in 2021, 2022, he put out a statement like at the start of the show about Activision Blizzard and, and the lawsuits and all that stuff. Um so like, yeah, it was it was a bummer to not see it here. And I get why the people in the room are the, the the executives and the CEOs who aren't being affected by these layoffs in a lot of cases. So you're kind of speaking right to the target audience, but I think that would have been important. And like you said, you can say it in a way that's not targeting any one person um, and still like has enough bite to where people who were laid off are satisfied. Um, and also asking, like, like we, we saw what happened when Konami was treating his, his best buddy Hideo Kojima poorly. Like, Oh yeah. There were some teeth that came out then. Like yeah. what, what about now when it's an industry wide thing, it's not just affecting a, a one development team that happens to have one of his, his friends on it. 
Yeah. Like we're not asking for him to like start a revolution on stage. Mm -hmm. It's just like, read the room. Like you're, this is the biggest video game show of the year. It's one of the best years for games ever, but like developers were treated like crap. Acknowledge it. Otherwise, not only do you look like, it looks silly because it's like, have you been paying attention? And also you're going to make a lot of developers who make your show possible by creating games that you get trailers for upset. And yeah, I, I, Every year, it's like, I hope Jeff Keighley takes it into account. And he does tend to do a good job, in my opinion. Um, but I don't know. Like, hopefully next year is not like this year. So he might have missed his chance to to win some love in the game dev community. And he'll have to build that back up. But that's on him. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to give a shout out before we wrap up this portion of our Game Awards recap. Uh, Rebecca Valentine over on IGN. Yeah did an article where she reached out to a lot of the developers who won these awards and got their full speeches. And it's called the game awards winner speeches. We didn't get to hear. And so she got, uh, Terry Bullinger from, or Boulanger maybe cause it's a French studio, right? The, that does sea of stars. Yeah. Sabotage. Uh, so we got the, the full sea of stars speech in text form. We got Phil Krifo, which by the way, Shuya Yoshida, did accept on uh, on the on Chia's behalf for yes. it because he was not in attendance. So they did get stage time, but uh, we did get Phil Krifos from Chia's uh, games for games of uh, sorry games for impact award. We got Takayuki Nakayama, Street Fighter Six director, giving his speech. Shuya Matsumoto, who was the uh, producer of Street Fighter Six, so both of them got their thing. So they traveled all the way from Osaka so they could write an email to IGN. Really great <laughs> job there. Um, Resident Evil Village development team for the Village VR mode. Mm-hmm. They got we we got that, and then uh, you know the director Sven Vinke, I believe is how you pronounce it, from Larian, also posted on Twitter his what he would have liked to say if he had you know a reasonable amount of time at the Game Awards after winning you know the biggest award of the night. He was supposed so. to, he tweeted the next day because shortly after the show, Larry announced that Baldur's Gate 3 was available on Xbox, like right now. And he tweeted the next day, I was supposed to announce it on stage. And he he didn't clarify and nobody got comment from him. Like, was that a joke and he forgot? Or was it that he got cut off and didn't reach that part of his speech? Um, and I hope it's not the latter. Otherwise, like, Jeff, you missed a big announcement at the show. Yeah, you played um, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that piece by Rebecca is awesome. It's um, one of the stories that you see go live and then you're just like immediately like, ah, why did I not think of that? I am so jealous. That 100%. She, yeah, such a good idea. It's great. So yeah, shout out to that. Look for that on IGN.com because it's well worth a read. It's great to see a lot of the people that we talked about who did not get their dues on stage or got cut off on stage get to actually deliver their speeches. So Thank you, Rebecca, for that, because that that was a big sore spot. Um, and I guess the only other thing I really wanted to talk about was, how do you feel about Nintendo's continued lack of involvement? It seemed like Reggie fils he seems like he may have been the driving force for getting Nintendo in front of people at the Game Awards, because ever since he left Nintendo, we have not had a lot from Nintendo in way of like world premieres at the show. Yeah, it's... I don't know if it's necessarily a Nintendo issue so much as it is. I feel like the big three, less so Xbox, but they are just, they're kind of like really carving their own paths and it does not include these third-party shows. Um, We did get the Valhalla DLC. We did get like Blade with Xbox and we didn't get anything with Nintendo, right? Mm -mm. And we've had some stuff like in recent years, like Joker coming to Smash. 
Bayonetta three yeah. um, years ago. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's so much a symptom of Nintendo so much as it is just these companies, they have their own styles of directs now. They have their own showcases. Why muddy your announcement alongside your competitor's announcement when you can just not do it and take your own? Which is fine. I think I think the video game awards for a minute now have been very third party heavy, uh, as opposed to like Nintendo Xbox and PlayStation, and it works. Um, but it is a bummer, you know. Nintendo did have. I still think the Joker and Smash reveal is one of the, maybe not the most exciting or like the biggest announcement at a game awards, but like probably one of the coolest they've ever done. The way that like yeah, Joker and the team hacked into like the stage, and then even then it was just like, oh, is this more Persona? And then the card flips over, and it's the Smash logo. Like so so beautifully well done so hype um that's one of my that's what i go that's what i watch these showcases for in terms of excitement and hype and um nintendo did it well but i'm i wouldn't be surprised if this trend continues it just seems like it's not for them anymore yeah well overall i do want to say that i was positive on the game awards even as we went in on them a little bit in this segment but i uh you know it's kind of like when you see something that is already very good but you know it could be better. And that's how yeah. it felt with with the Game Awards. So I, I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that it continues to happen every year. And I just hope that this is a, the, the backlash that Jeff Keighley is feeling. I hope it, he, he uses it as a learning experience, right? Take it yeah. to heart. He's already like in the red zone, right? And he just needs to push it over the goal line to be like a truly great show that the developers who are making these games can feel truly represented by. So I agree. Cut the those pre-show, are my, my thoughts add it about to the show. What was that? Cut the pre-show, add it to the show. Boom. Yeah. We got time for speeches. We're set. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, I do want to chat very briefly. I was recently in Tokyo. So of course I had to do some Nintendo related activities uh, real quick. The stuff that I did while I was out there, I visited Nintendo Tokyo, which is a store in Shibuya. And I got to, uh, you know, bought a few. I bought a few things, and I uh, spent probably more than I should have. But uh, is that the one the, that's um in the mall, like on the fourth floor, across from yeah. Pokemon with Mewtwo? Yeah, it's a yes. cool store. So went to that. Also went to the Pokemon Center, which, as you mentioned, is right across the hall. Didn't buy anything at the Pokemon Center this time. I oh. did buy like five or six things at Nintendo Store, so I, I got my money's worth, or got my time's worth in in spending way too much money there. Uh, I also went to the Square Enix Cafe in Ah, Akihabara, which was great. It's currently, or at the time, it was currently themed for Star Ocean, which, you know, is on Switch. So it's Nintendo related. So I got a couple of Star Ocean. Uh, They have a a cool thing where, like, you would craft your meal. So you would put in an order and they randomly, they determined whether your crafting was successful or failed. And based on it, they would have, like, it come out in a different form. So, like, if you have, like, something that's, like, uh, like, a stuffed something or other like if it's a failed crafting attempt there's a like it's like a it's like broken and all like the the filling is like spilling uh, out that's actually really cool it's a very cute thing and i also got to make my yeah. own potion and everything which ended up just being like a a, a a like a fruity drink like you choose like two different syrups to make like your your drink that was fun nice. um i also went retro game shopping in akihabara as yeah. i always do and uh, I, I've made that kind of my souvenir from Japan every time I go is I get anywhere from one to three games. Last time, I believe I got uh, the first time I ever went, I got Ocarina of Time. That was the only game that I got. Um, and I was like, well, hopefully I'll be back and I'll be able to get more. Second time, I got Street Fighter 2 Turbo. 
Super Mario 64 and Super Mario World. And I also got my dad Donkey Kong Country because, uh, or as they call it in Japan, Super Donkey Kong, because that was a game we played a lot of together uh, when I was a kid. This time I got Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation 1. Pokemon Green, because that's the Japan uh, the Japanese exclusive version of red, blue, green, yellow. And then uh, because I was there on the 25th anniversary of the Sega Dreamcast, I got a copy of Sonic Adventure. Nice. So those were are my you, three that I got. Are you buying like the, especially with like Pokemon, are you buying like the packaged, really nice, expensive versions or are you just buying whatever you can find? They're in packages. All the ones I have are in box. I keep them in box. I don't like take the cartridge out or anything like that. So I just make sure they have like a presentable box, right? Like yeah. I don't, I don't make, I don't, I'm not like, oh, it has to be mint or I'm not spending my money. I was actually trying to find Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. Turns out those are super rare and thus super expensive in Japan. Uh, so like I found a copy of Sonic and Knuckles and it was like $550. Uh, yeah, that's a bit much. Like, Never mind. <laughs> yeah. I'll just get I, Sonic Adventure for like 12 bucks. When I went in earlier this year for our Final Fantasy 16 cover, I did a lot of vintage video game shopping, less so shopping, more so just checking out the area because you got yeah. to. Um, and I determined that when I go in March on like personal vacation this next year, I'm going to come home with Crystal and maybe Emerald. But Emerald gets a little pricey. That's like 150 bucks. But Crystal I can get for like 80 or 90 in a box. And I got to get that. Yeah, I got a pretty good price on Pokemon Green. So I was happy about that because that's what's always deterred me from getting any Pokemon games when I'm over there because like the older ones really have shot up in price. Yeah, I've heard that like um, maybe tourism uh, has kind of is kind of ruining Japanese uh, or Japan's like video game market, vintage like market. Because, game culture. Yeah, apparently like five, six, seven years ago, prices were a lot lower. But now that they know people are coming to Japan specifically to buy these games, they're, the prices are going up. Um, but still, they're like they seem pretty good for me. I mean, buying spending 90 on a boxed copy of of crystals pretty great considering it's just not even available anywhere here in the states without spending an astronomical amount yeah but i always feel satisfied like i i think about it so much when i'm out there and of course there's one that always gives me a hard time to find like yeah. ocarina of time was the one it was a little bit tricky to find but i i found it like the second attempt i think i found a good boxed copy and then last time it was uh it was uh, Final Fantasy X. Actually, that was another one that I bought when I was there mm. last year. I had a hard time finding a good boxed copy of that. And then uh, this time I had a hard time finding Sonic Adventure, actually. So I was satisfied with my haul this time around, but uh, I can't wait to go back because I have in my mind like the stuff that I want next time and what I'm going to drop some money on next time, especially now that I've scouted out the prices. So, uh, Wes, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of All Things Nintendo. Yes, thank you for having me. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. If you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or hit me up on social media at Brian Pichet. I am doing a listener Q&A episode to close out this, this year of episodes, so be sure to get those questions in sooner rather than later. You can also join the Game Informer community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel even just for one month. Wesley, tell people your presence on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at LeBlancWes. You can find me on like threads and blue sky at just my name, Wesley LeBlanc. I don't use those too much these days. 
Um, you can find me on Instagram at Wesley LeBlanc. Um, I don't really do much there except post memes on my story and post pictures from my travels. Um, and yeah, you can read my words on Game Informer and sometimes hear my voice on our YouTube channel, like right now. That is our show for this week. Thank you all again so much for listening. Take care. We'll see you next time.